a listener production. Okay, are you recording? Howdy crew, welcome along to episode 127 of the Howie Games, part A, featuring a truly remarkable fella, Dylan Olcott. Big serve, down the tee, and Dylan does the double. Olcott, he's the undisputed king of men's quad tennis. Dylan is many things to many different people. To sports fans, he is a quad tennis star. To Paralympic fans, he's a gold and silver medalist in wheelchair basketball, although do not mention the silver medal to him, and dual gold medalist in tennis at the Paralympics. To podcast listeners, he hosts his own show called Listenable. Check it out. Outstanding podcast. He's a motivational speaker, TV star, Logie winner, commentator, author, and that's really just getting started. So you search and try to find but you don't know where to go So many thoughts flood through your mind You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be? So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by To me, Dylan is a bloke I'd see around the trap Say good day to, nice fella, always smiling And seemingly always winning At whatever he turned his hand to During this episode, though, I realised Dylan is also an enabler of conversations, of new thoughts, and for me, of different approaches. 20 minutes into the episode, Dylan answered a lot of questions that I haven't known how to ask before and explained, and this is important, he explained to me it is better to ask and include than shy away and exclude. You'll figure out what I'm on about when you get rolling into the episode. Here is the story of Dylan Olcott OAM, a man that provokes thought. Pretty cool. Enjoy. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion Welcome to the Howie Games, one of Australia's premier athletes, a man I've had the opportunity to meet a few times over the years, and we've said we need to get this done. This is a man that's won Paralympic gold medals in a couple of different sports, which is an incredible feat. He is so much more than an athlete, though. Dylan Olcott joins me on the show. Dill, how are you? Howie, brother. I'm stoked to be here, mate. As I said, As I've said to you, as we... You know, cruise past each other yeah. where we work at radio and, and podcasts, but but also in, in the lounges and at sporting events, mate, uh, I love what you do here at the Howie Games, mate. So privileged to be here. So much to talk about. While we're talking about podcasting, listen, Abel, you do a fantastic podcast. Why'd you get into it? What are you trying to achieve and how's it going? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. It's, it is, it's not just plug in a couple of headphones think, and away you go. People think it's easier and then they have a crack at it or they come on. They're like, God, that was hard. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, my, we'll get into it a bit later, but my real purpose in life is to change perceptions so people with a disability, people like me, can live the lives they deserve to live. And one medium whereby I hadn't heard much about disability was through podcasts, but also you and I right now, we're going to talk no BS, open up. You can do that with podcasting. Radio, you get censored, there's ads, mm. you've got three minutes, you know, TV's the same. Podcasts, you can literally talk about whatever you want for as long as you want within reason. And we wanted to change, you know, my podcast, Listenable, we wanted to profile the lives of people living with or affected by disability in a really different lens. We want to, you know, in a really humorous, emotional, talk about the things that you don't see, how you get dressed, can you have sex, some of the worst parts in life, but some of the best parts as well, you know, people's accidents, everything like that. And uh, it has, I've learned so much. Mm. And people always say to me, hey, I've been mean to ask you, what's it like to live with autism, right? And I go, 
hey, I have no idea. I'm not autistic. Ask someone who is. Yep. The best way to find out is through lived experience. So rather than me talk on behalf of all disabilities, which sometimes people ask me to, I don't want to do that. I want people to have their own voice. So we're giving that through Listen Able. And I reckon most of our listenership are able-bodied. Yeah, cool. And that's the aim. It's, it's what you said about being honest. I checked myself coming in here today because you think to yourself, and I'm going to call myself now able-bodied, yeah. and I immediately think, what terms can I use? I don't want to cause offence. What's right? What's wrong? And I found myself walking in here a little bit on the back foot because of your physical position. Mm-hmm. So what is right, what is wrong, what is positive, what is negative? Do you understand what I mean? Love it, right? Um, So I've got a consulting company called Get Skilled Access where we educate people about disabilities, governments and corporates. We've got 35 consultants. All of them have disabilities, right? This is what we teach. Two things. One, I'm going to ask you, if you want to ask something about your able-bodied co-worker, say it's Adam Gilchrist when you're working, what do you do? If you want to to find out something about him, what do you do? Ask a question. Yeah, ask a question. Yep. So why when someone has a disability, rather than ask what is the best way to go about it, people freeze, feel awkward, and then alienate and don't involve. Worst thing you can do, right? Gotcha. Same gotcha, as communication. Gotcha. So people say they don't know whether they should bob down, stand up, whatever. I always like it when people stand up. If it's super loud, I'll be like, hey, man, can you bob down? I can't hear. But for the most part, just start normally. You wouldn't bend down to speak to anybody else, so don't. But I feel awkward standing up. Yeah, but, that's, but, but there's no reason to. And okay. you know what? You should say, hey – I feel awkward standing up. Do you want me to bob down? Yeah. And the person will go, I'm chilling, Howie. Oh, that would be awesome. So mate. there's that honesty yeah, thing. Yeah, there's that honesty thing. Um, and the other, the other biggest thing as well, which which people, you know, really struggle with, it's 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 okay to to be a bit awkward about those things, but the best way is to be normal, right? If you take away the fact that I have a disability, well then, you know, I'm just a normal person just like you. But you hit the nail on the head. Language is so important. Language well, well, is Well, this is the thing because yeah. – I have tremendous respect for you and what you've done, but just like any other person on the street, I'm not wanting to have a chat with them and say something yeah. that offends them or puts them offside or upsets them. Yeah, and it's so interesting you say that. Like I can, I said you're able-bodied, which you are, and I say that I'm disabled, I have a disability. When I get introduced on radio, right, by people we all know, we've got the 12-time Grand Slam champion, wheelchair, uh, wheelchair tennis player, Dylan Orkut. Now, Dylan, you were born with your uh, differently – abled uh, situation, I'm like, disability. Right. Disability is not a bad word, right? I have a disability. That's what it is. And I'm proud of it. But because of the negative connotation and the negative stigma, people think it is a derogatory term, but it's not. And I'm so glad you brought this up because I see little kids, right? I met a little girl called Hayley the other day. She had cerebral palsy. She was in a wheelchair. I set up, I went, get a Hayley with her mum. I said, what's your disability? And mum goes, Hayley hasn't got a disability. And I was like, well, she does. She's in a wheelchair. No, she doesn't. She's not disabled. I'm like, that's a bad thing because you're telling Haley and the world that having a disability is a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with having a disability. I haven't looked at it like that It's before. actually a great thing. But if we're telling everybody, pretending they're not there, not owning them, not being proud, like I used to do when I hated myself, which we'll get into, that makes it hard and it's scary and it causes problems. So I'd rather you be like, yeah, he's disabled and he's my mate. And he's in a wheelchair and we're going to just treat him like anybody else. So what's the wrong language? What, what's language? It's a, yeah, we've established here right yeah. at the start we're going to be pretty direct. What is language that can be used where it grates on you or oh. it pisses you off or upsets you? Yeah. So I am who I am now and I'm the luckiest guy in the world, but there was a three to four years or two to three years in my life where I hated myself. I was embarrassed by my disability. 
Uh, I wasn't proud of who I was. It was when I was like 12, 13 to 14, 15. And, mate, I sat at home for two years eating junk food. I didn't leave the house, didn't go to school. I can't tell you how much I hated myself. Had depressed, like thought about really negative stuff, you know. Why'd you hate yourself? Because I wasn't proud of who I was. And it was based off also um, getting bullied about my disability at school. There wasn't heaps of people, but there was a select group. And they used to call me the cripple or the spastic or the retard everywhere that I went. And their words that used to get used to describe people with a disability in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. And their words that some of us, especially if you're listening right now, you might still say, how many beers did you have on Saturday night at the footy? Mate, I was spastic. Or you're a retard when someone does something stupid or whatever. Or I'm so, I'm so retarded. You, those words hurt. And unfortunately for me, I started believing them and I became really embarrassed about the fact that I had a disability, mate. I didn't, I didn't think I was ever going to get over it as well. And it stems from that own, you know, innate negative stigma that I put on myself because of what society did, but also hearing things like that because I started believing them. And they're the negative words that people still use. You know what I mean? Uh, you don't use the word midget anymore. It's a person of short stature. Yet yep. I read in the newspaper or a midget comedian and it's like, don't say that. It takes two seconds to Google what to do, you know, and people don't. And um, to the point where I don't normally say those words ever. I say the R word and that, but I think it's important in a forum like this to say it. And when footy players say it and it gets picked up in the mic and I <laughs> – I know they don't mean it like that. And they're like, oh, hang on. I was just on the footy field. And mm. it's like, no, 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 no. Cut that out. Because um, when I was four, to get funding off the government, I had to join something called the Spastic Society in 1994. I said to my mum. 25 years ago. I said to my mum, what is that? Oh, that's what, that's what what it's called. You know, the Spastic bus used to keep pick up the kids with disabilities. Like, that's what it was called. Yeah. I was four when I realised, like, I'm not that. I don't want to be called that, you know. And, um, you know, some people with disability love the word cripple. They think it's like an empowering word. Power to them. I'm not saying don't own that, like the crip army or whatever, but I hate it because it has that negative connotation that you are broken, less capable when undateable, can't have sex, can't do anything. And I think that's BS. Yeah, I can't do it like you, but yeah, I can still do it. So to hear that, I actually found that um – quite upsetting when it's in a school environment, yeah. as you could have seen could, from me sitting across from you. Your body language changes when you go, because you could imagine that, like Well, I know how, how, how cruel kids yeah. can be. So we are blessed on this show to have a lot of kids listening. And you grow up and sometimes you're figuring out what's right and what's wrong. So again, a really personal question again, and I'll get to that period very soon when you said you're really struggling. What is it like when you go to school and a scene as something different and a teased about being different, like what effect can that have on a person? Oh, it was rock bottom for me. And, and the biggest regret that I had was I didn't tell anyone because we as people are too stoic, kids, teenagers, adults, we all take it on. And, you know, I'm not saying I was a perfect kid either. And there's probably people listening and said, oh, yeah, but you were a dickhead. And I tested that and I apologize. Um, but, you know, I learned pretty young, like how much, how much it affected me because I'm obviously different. I'm in a wheelchair. I'm already struggling with that. I'm, you know, starting to date. I'm different. Oh, my mates are playing footy. You can be the scorer or the goal umpire. No, I want to play. Oh yeah, but you're different. So you already know you're different. 
And then when people pinpoint and tell you that you are a cripple or spastic, whatever, just to get a laugh, it cut me so deep. And, uh, you know, especially for young, that's why I try and do what I do, mate. And really use my platform for good to change the perceptions of disability, especially for young people, because people always say, hang on, I've got to ask you a question. Would you rather be 22, able-bodied, have a car crash, be a paraplegic, know what it's like to walk or not have any idea, right? Or yeah. be born with a disability like me, have no idea what it's like to kick a footy, go to the beach, but at least you don't know. Great question, yeah? What would you do? Well, you have this discussion with your kids. Are you actually seriously asking me? Yeah. I think I'd want to know both sides of the coin. Great answer, right? I think I, I, I don't know any difference. I love my being born with my disability, but I will say this. If you have an accident when you're 22, hopefully you might have a partner, family, mates around you that can help you through it, right? It's still devastating, but you need the right mindset. The problem with being born with a disability is kids can be brutal. Yeah. It's tough, man. Go, and and I, I have the best mates in the world who help me through it, but I see that many kids with disabilities getting bullied. Their teachers don't know how to integrate them. Their parents wrap them in cotton wool, don't let them go on the train with their mates, whatever. How is a young kid then, when they finish school, expected to go make it in the world mm. when they haven't been resourced, supported, had role models? You know, 15 years ago or 20 years ago when I was growing up, I didn't know anybody with a disability because there was no, there was, you know, there was people like you on TV kicking yep. ass and broadcasting, but no one like me. And, um, you know, it, that's why I try and, I guess, you know, I, I don't try that. I just try and be me. But if it has that effect, even in a very, very, very small way, to have impact, that's why I do what I do. Um, but any kids listening, if someone's giving you a hard time, my two bits of advice is this. One, tell someone. Tell your brother. Tell your best mate. Tell your mum. Tell your dad. Tell your footy coach. Tell anyone. They will help you. Second, pardon my French, for every one dickhead that gives you a hard time, there are 10,000 other legends that are worth your time. Do not think about that person that gives you a hard time like I did. All I thought about was that select group. I didn't look around and go, actually, I've got 100 of the best mates who look after me. I just focused on the negative rather than harnessing the positive thing. The, the one negative to the 10,000 positives is a spectacular way to look at life and it's obviously got a lot to do with why you're sitting here now, which we will eventually get to. You might not be able to answer this. So, so to flip it, for kids out there that see things happening or adults in the workplace, it's become bullying's become a thing on social media. When, when you are seeing bullying in the environment you're in, whether you're three or 33 or 73, what role can you play? Do you go and tell someone else? Do you pull someone up and say, this is not on? Like, what's the best approach in this situation? So if you see one of your mates getting bullied, what are you doing? Great, great point great question and i think we even myself have to get better at this and you, you know i even say stupid jokes at people's expenses privately and go oh you know i'm an idiot and it's funny that, that's sick feeling when you yeah, walk you go, think, why, why the did hell I did that? i say that because i didn't mean it that's caused them yep. hurt and i do it so yeah. i'm not being a we all do it i'm not being a legend yet at all the biggest thing i'll say is to the person go tell the person that is doing the bullying that it's wrong give them a chance to stop or fix it uh my you know I know my best mates now and even my brother. My brother was the one who used to stand up for me, um, but it took a while because I didn't tell him. But even my mates now go, I wish I, I heard them call you that 
And I wish I just said, hey, mm. stop doing that. Even when we were 14, you know, he, it still eats them up. They didn't do anything about it, right? And I'm like, no, it's not your responsibility. Like I, I don't want them to feel that, but I know they do. Give that, if someone's doing something in the workplace, if you're getting harassed, you know, women that are listening, if there's idiot blokes giving you a hard time, whatever it is, um, or you see it happening, uh, you know, definitely if it's happened to you, you can report it. But if you see it happen to someone else, give that person, tell them. If they laugh at you and continue to do it, go tell someone to stamp it out. Yeah. It's not fair. And you can't expect the person getting bullied or harassed to have the confidence to do it because I didn't have the confidence to do it, right? And I, lucky that I told someone but also looked in the mirror and said, stuff these people. But not everyone has that innate ability, right? I just had it. And if you don't, you're just going to cop it forever and that's not fair. So I think call it out and 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 as for what it is, which is harassment, bullying, you know, it, it needs to stop. And where do you sit? Something I've been thinking about lately, actually, I was talking about it on the footy last Sunday on a whim and I thought, oh, gee, I don't know if I should have brought that up. Where do you sit on social media bullying and like outright hate that people yeah. you've never met have now got the ability to yeah. put to you and potentially impact your day? I mean, I hosted the footy show for four weeks, so. It so was, you, oh, I was it brutal? Oh, still, still. So this is the the Channel I, Nine footy show in in Victoria. In Victoria, yeah, yep. I took over, and we had like five weeks, and everyone was like, yep. "Bring Sam Newman back," and then, you know, yep. um, and all right, let me give you the scope. So, I'm this so, is a fascinating conversation. I'm so lucky, right? I'm so lucky. I get mad mad love online. Mm. Thank you if you do. I'm very lucky. I only have a small group, and it's since I got involved in the footy world of all places where people really get stuck in. Footy world is brutal. Right. And there's two things, right, that, and like, you know, if you put your foot in there, you've got to expect it. I will say that right, right, to a point. Should you expect it though? Well. Should you expect that? Great point, right. So, let, you know, I. Set it up for me. Explain to me. I have, you know, we, when I first came back to tennis in 2014, I played the Australian Open, four people were there, three of them were my family. I had to beg the news people to do an article. Beg them, please, please. And then it changed, right? I started getting more exposure. Most of it was love because it was new. And then it got to a point where people started to get sick and tired of you, right? To the point where if my girlfriend, Chantelle, and I put something on Instagram, news.com and Daily Mail write an article, right? And people so, are like, so you're going from nothing to being, being captain popular yeah. and then ha- like, haven't it, you've won seven, seven, seven Australian owners yeah. in a row. So it gets to the point then where, where you become too now, big. Right. Is now in there. Yeah. Okay. And they write an article and they're like, people are like, F these two people, we don't want to hear about it. We didn't ask to be written about, right? Yeah. But, you know, when I hosted the footy show, and look, I'm so lucky. It was one of the best experiences ever hosting the footy show for me for this reason because I used to look at the stuff written about me and get upset. It made me realize I could not give a shit about what they write about me. So how did you come to that realization? How did you come from reading it on your Instagram to me- yep. direct messaging going, yeah. And then thinking, how the hell has that affected my day from some random punter to yeah. saying, I'm not going to allow it to. It was obviously a conscious decision. Yeah, for sure. And it was just like, I just realized that these people are nameless faces with fake accounts who have no lives, who have a photo of a car as their display pic or whatever it is, right? And It's never a photo of themselves. Right? Never. Right? Ever. <laughs> and it's funny they're writing that. like, uh, what is this old mate cripple, no legs, know about footy, like F this guy. That's a nice one, right? get this F and R word off my TV. He's a – and my mum calls me crying, right, because she has Facebook now. I was like, mum, they are nobody. That's upset right? your mother. And the oh, bloody oath, right. And you know what? I even dipped my foot in the other day and 
if you go for North Melbourne, I apologize. And I wrote it, uh, North aren't going very well in the AFL. And I wrote this tweet and I said, I reckon I could get a kick for North at the moment. Like I was joking, um, but like it rubbed the wrong chord. And I would never call someone out individually, never, ever as athlete, a person, never. But it was a team. And you know what? Even me saying that is a negative thing. I thought, could have checked myself there. Mm -hmm. But then I got just opened myself up to the craziest tweets I've ever got. Some of them funny like this. Hang on a second. Even if you got on the field and marked it, how would you kick it? You're in a wheelchair. That's the joke. Thanks for that, Captain Obvious. Secondly, uh, you can't kick it. How, what if Jack Zebel's running past you? He, he'll just go past. Again, that's the joke. Quite literal. I'm also bagging myself, by the way. Like, obviously, I can't kick it. But then it's like, if you can make it, why can you make a joke about your disability and I can't call you a fucking dumb cripple? Right. It's like, well, hang on a sec. And then it was just on and on. And like, they should lock you all up in a pen. Why do they even let you out of the home? You know, like crazy That's stuff. That's disgusting. It though. is, right? It is disgusting. So how have you made the switch? Oh, I What have not, you done? So this is, I work with a guy called Ben Crow who, if you haven't known how he games with him yet. I haven't, but I know Ben. Ben Crow works with my, myself, Ash Barty, some guy called Tiger Woods, yeah. uh, Agassi, Dusty I, Martin, who's not bad. Most of them. He said this and it's the best. People think they know you online, right? And yes, I'm giving online. And I'm always myself. Like, I, what you and I are doing right now, we would do at the pub, correct? Yeah. I'm no different. That's the idea of the show. Yeah, but, but also, people put on a front. I try not to. I'm always authentically me. I'm proud of who I am. But by reading one tweet or listening to one podcast, they don't know the person. They think they do, but they know the persona. So if they're abusing the persona, don't worry. You got to separate yourself from who you actually are. Because the people that really know me is my family. My mates, you know, we're getting to know each other because we see each other outside of work yep. more. And you go, oh man, they're good people, right? You can't get hung up on what people are saying online because they don't genuinely know the person that you are. And if you know you're doing everything you can to be a good person, who cares what they write? Who cares what they write? One thing I do worry about though is the gang mentality when people see things like that. And then they see someone actually with a disability in real life and they keep doing it. Yeah. Not on. And it does stem that culture where people can do that, you know? And you and I aren't immune to it, copying it, but we also in the in the media say funny, think we're being funny because we have to and say things like I did about North and afterwards I'm like, oh, you know what? I can see where that could toe the line of me being a dickhead as well. Yeah. So I'm not immune to doing it. And But like I've had mates – Sports people, so of you, who remain nameless, mm. who aren't alive anymore because of this. Yeah. Who quit sport and you think now they won gold medals and they're living the best life ever. They sit at home in tears, drinking alcohol, doing all because of this. Yeah. So if you think you're being funny, you know, check yourself, right? Because you actually could be ruining people's lives. Even if you think they're famous legends who are rich, it hurts too. Everyone's got a mum and a dad and a Correct. personal and, time by themselves yeah, and a brother and yeah, a my, sister. When and it a, first started happening, my dad was so funny. Did you get punchy? Did you see that New Stockholm article? Did you see what they're writing about you? Right. Have you seen what these people are writing about you? I'm like, mate, don't worry. <laughs> Come on, dad. Should I call him? Should I get that article taken down? But that's like, what you want your dad to do. I know. Good on him. I love him. Because that's what he's been doing and since you were- my, yeah, my brother's favorite pastime is going through them all, screen grabbing them. And sending the funny ones to me. He actually right. loves it. He loves it. <laughs> and that's your brother's job. And that's, my brother's job and that's too. your brother's Keep job. Keep me in check. <laughs> 
Back to deal in a tick. Next up on the show, one of the smoothest broadcasters ever to grace the screens of Australian TV, Sandy Roberts. I'm biased. I am very biased. But this is a cracking episode full of tall tales, laughs and in-depth discussions about some iconic sporting moments in Australia that the great man has called, including his first Olympics, the 1980 Games in Moscow. Ron would conduct breakfast at 7.30 every morning and it was on that morning that he would say, for example, Bill Collins, you're doing taekwondo. (laughs) Sandy Roberts, you're doing archery. So there would be this mad scramble to the media centre to find out all we could about these particular events. So that's where we've come from. So, Sandy, that's that's brilliant. So... So what would you do? So say, like, give me an event that you had to cover in Moscow, for example. What's something you covered after the, the first week was done? Did you archery. do archery? Archery. Okay. So tell me, you, you race to the media centre. There's there's no internet. There's no computer hookup. What, what are you doing to avail yourself to information about the world's best archers, Sandy? Okay. What, what they had in those days, as you say, there was, there was no internet or anything like that, but there was just reams and reams of, paper and that, that you know, it, it, you'd, you'd have to find archery, then go along to the day's program, then pick out the uh, the pages with the <laughs> people that you want to talk about and away you go. I mean, it was it was hard, but it was, but that's the way you learned. It, it was, and it was exhilarating. It was like you're going at 100 miles an hour in Olympic Games, as you know. Yeah. Um, every day and it's, you don't worry about getting tired. It's just, it's just such a buzz to be involved. And I guess twofold, and we'll get to your footy broadcast because I've looked a lot of it in the last week and there's things I want to bring up with you about it. In those days, I guess if you butcher a bloke's name or get a fact completely wrong, you don't have the keyboard warriors at home that can look up on the internet and say and send you a quick tweet <laughs> saying, hey, you stuffed that up, you clown, because... You're the wealth of knowledge, so I guess if you're just saying it with confidence, you're always right. Well, I think uh, one of the things I did in those early days, particularly at Olympic Games and particularly at Winter Olympic Games, um, if, if, you know, they don't, they don't show you phonetically how to say the, <laughs> the name either. So I, I learned to say those surnames that gave me a bit of trouble rather quickly <laughs> and almost as if I was glossing over it. <laughs> and then, of course, you you know, you, you'd use other lines like the Russian was magnificent or something <laughs> like that to, to get around his name. Like, you know, Jamila Kratokralova would be running in the women's 400 and, oh, that was a mouthful. So, yeah, it was, it, it was a great learning curve, Howie. That's Sandy Roberts next up on the show. Let's return to Dylan. Okay, so we've di- we 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 went straight into the deep end here. Um, there's never any plan, as you know, being a listener to this show. So where does your journey start? You, you asked me, would I rather happen to end up in a wheelchair at 22 or when I was born? You yep. were born straight into it. Yes, yeah, so I was born with a uh, tumor wrapped around my spinal cord. So take a small melon, chop it in half, stick half of it on your back. Um, that's how I was born. So did your mum and dad know that was coming? No. So it grew on the inside and the outside. So. It was like an inside and the outside was like half a little melon, kind of a bit bigger than a tennis ball sticking outside my back. Nine pound ten. Yep. Baby, big baby. Big Obviously baby. Had a big tumor hanging off. Um, no idea why. 
uh, and when I did the ultrasound, I was turned the other way. So you couldn't see my back. You could see my front. And so I was born and they were like, what's that? And they're like, oh, I don't know, to be honest. And uh, it was something called a lipomeningular seal that uh, the surgeons decided that had to be removed in the first week of my life to save my life, right? I think I had about seven operations in the first eight months to save my life. And then- Was it, was everything moving prior to that? No, it's because the the tumour had grown into the spine, the spine was damaged, spinal cord was damaged. Okay. And it was def- deformed. So as I'm sitting here, I want everybody to put their hand um, in the middle of your chest, right? And then move- your hand down slowly and then take it out to the right, kind of where out where your kidneys would be in your rib cage. That's where my spine goes now. It pushed it all the way to the right. Oh, right. That's how bad my scoliosis is. So it's it's bent to that bent extent. all the way to the side and then it cuts back in, yeah. Did you ever have a – have you ever – I'm sure you had. You want the best for your kids and it's the old, you know, you, again, I'm thinking is this the right thing to say but I'm going to say, say it. it mate. If you have kids, yep. I hope you have kids – and people say, what do you want, boy or girl? Ah, oh, 10 fingers, 10 toes. Hey. Away we go. How good is this? Yeah, my radio co-host, Angus O'Loughlin, who I do listen able with, yep. where you find it on Listener or wherever you get your potties, he just had a kid. Right. And he said once, I just want to have a healthy baby. And he went, bang. He checked himself and goes, I just want to have a baby. And I was like, good on you, mate, because I wasn't healthy. See, and- this, is, this is the language we're talking about. Yeah. So have you ever said to your mum and dad, what was their – Initial, how oh, yeah. did they deal with? Great, great question, mate. You just go into overdrive. Um, so I wrote a, I wrote a book called Able, and I didn't. I shy away from the gnarly stuff in my life because I just couldn't give a shit. I'm so I lived the best life in the world, luckiest guy in the world. I don't get hung up on that. But I had to write this book. I wrote it myself, and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some research, right? And there's a photo in my case. So my dad and mum. For the first three and a half years of my life, they spent every night in hospital next to me. Mum would be there all day with my older brother, Zach. They would be there all day. He might go to kinder or school. Dad would finish work. He would come to hospital. They would swap parking tickets because you get charged by the hour. So <laughs> mum could leave for only $5. Dad would stay there all night, sleep. Mum would go home with Zach. She would come back the next day with a new suit. Dad and her would swap tickets again and they would do that every day. Crazy. Wow. My parents were... I'm 30 now with no kids. Mum was 30. My dad was 25. They had two kids, one of which was probably going to die. Right. Crap. How do you do that? I couldn't even. Uh, I couldn't. Have, can't even look after my uh, my dog sauce. Yeah. And you know, I like how much his name sauce. Sauce. Uh, miniature dash hound. He's tiny. <laughs> Why is he got sauce? Because you can't have a sausage without sauce, brother. You know that. You like that? I do like uh, that. Thank you. My family is obsessed with their sausage dogs. Yeah. If my and, daughter wants a sausage dog, but yeah, anyway, the best, go on. Do it. Anyway, um, there's a photo that I use in my corporate, I do a lot of corporate inspirational speaking keynotes, and it's a photo of me with a little teddy bear. And I used to say, um, my parents were by my side every night in hospital, or so they say. They're not in the effing photo, are they? Right? In the photo. <laughs> and my dad used to like just laugh. And then I interviewed him and he goes, I never told you this because you little joke you do. You interviewed him for the book? For the book. I never told you this for your little joke you do, but I'll tell you now. You know that photo that you put up? I go, yeah. He goes, you know, it's blurry. I go, yeah. He goes, oh, that was because you had a really bad reaction. One of my kidneys failed, had a reaction, and um, they got the doctor in, and my face was like swelling, and I looked sick, and they said, we're going to have to give him a lethal dose of steroids. Um, He's probably not going to be here in the morning, so take the last photo. 
And that's why the photo is blurry because my dad took the photo in tears. And I was like, hit me for six, mate. I get goosebumps thinking about it now. Man. But how do you handle that as a parent? Correct. And like, I, how do you come out of a hospital thinking the little bloke's not going to be there? Well, how do you go home? Well, I just sat, he fell asleep next to me. Or didn't say, just thinking I was going to not be there, you know? And the, it'll either kill him or save him. The lethal jokes of steroids, dose of steroids, save me. And then, you know, look at me now. And that, but that's a. Is that why you're so bulked up? I was going to say, I, I haven't, kept, I don't do it anymore. Shout out to Wada. <laughs> but obviously that one. You got early doors, yeah, son. I didn't you get drunk early. Um, so, you know, it's like anything. Um, how do I drive a car in a wheelchair? Well, you just learn. Right? Same as being a parent of someone with a disability. But you don't, they said it best. You don't get given, oh, here's the paraplegic manual. No. Best of luck. Nothing, mate. Right? Well, well any child you don't get given Correct. a manual. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're upping the difficulty level. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, it's just like times a 10. And that's why we do this today, but that's why I do what I do to try and, you know, talk about things like this because you're like, you know, that's unbelievable. But you also learn on the run, but there are, you meet other, it's like anything. You meet other, you want to learn how to broadcast, you meet other broadcasters, you learn. You meet other parents with kids with disabilities and you trade secrets and stuff like that. Um, but I don't know. I wasn't there. No. All I know is I'm the luckiest kid in the world to have two amazing parents. Even my, my dad, my parents are split up now. My dad's remarried um, to Dana. She's a legend. My brother. With it, I'm not, I am who I am because of my family. Well, a shout out to your mum and dad and hopefully, yeah. hopefully they listen. When does sport come across... Your field of vision. Yeah. Uh, so I loved sports since I was five or six. Played totem tennis, you know, the thing on the ground. Yeah, it spins around. Loved playing AFL with my mates at school. Um, but I was more of a stepladder than a participant because oh, the vertical you, leap. I haven't you were Jerker Jenkins and they were Jezelenko. Yeah, Jack in the pack. I right. was the pack. You were the pack. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my favorite was playing cricket because what I would do is I was actually right at batting. I'd, I'd – um, I'd bat, I might turn to bat and I'd just sit in front of the stumps. People would bowl it, hit my wheel. They say LBW, said hit the wheel, dickheads. And everyone felt <laughs> it's bad. Not WBW, it's not WBW, is it? Wrong. It's, it's not, not wrong. No, you're right. I, I, everyone felt bad and I'd bat the whole lunchtime. <laughs> um, and, but there, there came a point where, I, you know, I was the manager of my brother's East Brighton Vampires football team mm-hmm. in Victoria and my dad was the assistant manager, just to make me feel good. I was nine, my, I was seven, my brother was nine. But I'm like, I don't want to sit on the sidelines anymore, you know? Uh, the only time I just couldn't play and then I – So that's a conscious decision? I don't want to sit oh, on the sidelines I'm anymore? Like, this is – it's token. I felt sidelined, literally. Everyone tried to get me involved, but I can't, right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I was so lucky. There was a company called Wheelchair Sports Victoria. We came about and I, I started like finding out that you could play sport. And I used to swim a lot as a kid. To be fit, like even when I was five, I can't kick, but I can obviously use my arms. And and then I tried wheelchair tennis when I was a bit after 10, almost 11. I went and I was all right. And I got invited to play in the Thaguna Tennis Open. Thaguna is 10 minutes outside of Albury, right? Not as posh as it sounds. Not as good as it sounds. But Modgrass. <laughs> I thought we were talking Europe no, or no, somewhere. No. Modgrass, you know, I get to the Thaguna Open. I'm like 11. I drive there with my mum. And it changed my life, mate, because – Did it? Not because of tennis. Well, because I played and stuff, but I saw a guy who would have been 25 and he was driving a car. And I was like, you can drive a car in a wheelchair? Ah. I had no idea. I was like – and then that guy got out and he kissed his wife. I was like, what the – what's that? He had kids. He drank a beer. 
and he was awesome at tennis. And if you take away the gold medals and the grand slam, I'm telling you, the most important part of my sporting career was the social aspect of meeting people like me and feeling normal and included. Better than any Wimbledon title for me. Changed my life. Gee, that's a good story. Changed my life. Bang. To the T. And I mean that, mate. I still, you can hear me. <laughs> yeah. The Thaguna Open. I say it like, and everyone's like, if you live in Thaguna, or we're like, if you know Thaguna, I'm like, I'm telling you, it changed me. I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. I want to go. I didn't even, and you know what? I feel a bit of a fraud when the Sydney games were on. I didn't go to the Paralympics. I went to the Olympics and I regret that. I didn't, I often say. As a punter. Oh yeah, I went to the Olympics. I didn't go to the Paralympics. The Paralympics was on for maybe half an hour a night as a highlight show. I missed it. I didn't even get to see it. So I didn't see any Paralympic sport as a kid, nothing. I just competed and loved it. And that day, I'm telling you, from then on, I was like, I want to be a Paralympian. I want to be a Paralympian. I want to be a Paralympian. It was my goal. Which we'll get to, and we'll get to the fact that you, you dominated in two different sports, which is extraordinary. Just to go back half an hour, you were talking about a period of your life which you found really difficult and you weren't happy with yourself. You couldn't get out the door. You explained that and you explained it very eloquently. What made you get out the door? I remember I was, it was like a sliding door event. I feel like I've got a lot of these, but it is true. If you, how you perceive the events in life that dictates the life that you live. And, and a mate of mine was having a house party. I was two years into absolutely hating. Loved Dylan up until I was 12 and then just two and a half years of just, you know, depression and hating myself. And So you're 14, 15 yeah, at Yeah, almost 15 I think I would have been. Okay. And I was in year nine. And a mate of mine was having a house party and as usual, I didn't get invited, right? I said, that's BS. Why am I not getting invited? So I decided I was going to invite myself. Said to my brother, you know, Zach, what do you, mate, what do you do when you don't get invited to a house party? And he said, me and my mates just jump the fence. Solid advice for your brother in a wheelchair. Good work, bro. I said, yeah, nice, nice one, Dickhead. And he goes, why don't I just drop you there? See what happens. I said, all right. Gave me four UDLs, legend. <laughs> Turned up, <laughs> turn, turned like up, right? knocked on the door. My mate opened the door and he had this shocked look on his face. And he said, you know, I just thought, Dylan, you idiot, why did you come? And he said, Dill, mate, I'm sorry we don't invite you places. I've got two steps to get into my house and I didn't know if you'd be able to get in, right? And what I found was, you know, I can get up two steps with a bit of help, you know, like that. And what I found was, these guys didn't hate me because I was different. They were actually just embarrassed to talk about my disability with me the same way as you came in. Exactly. Right? Exactly what I was right. talking about at the start. So you said the same thing. And right? I've never thought listen, about it listen, that listen, it can again, isolate people. Exactly right. And I said, these guys didn't know if I needed a carer, could get his steps, could hang out with them, could kiss a girl. They had no idea, right? But more important than that, I was embarrassed to talk about my disability with them. I used to shy away from those conversations because I wasn't proud of the person that I was. And I, it hit me like that. I had the best night. hit me like a ton of bricks, mate. I was like, oh, my God. As soon as I talk about it more and am comfortable with it and am proud of it, everybody else around me seems to be more proud of it too. And it immediately changed my life. Like I was fat at the time. I was, I, I was obese. I lost weight. I got more friends. I got more confident. I got better at sport. Boom. It just changed everything. And or, I'm not saying I didn't have insecurities. Like when I first started dating and that, which I'm sure we'll talk about, I was shitting myself. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what I could do. But 
from that point on, I was a lot more confident and proud of the person that I was because I couldn't be able-bodied. I couldn't be like my brother. I couldn't be like you. So why not be me and see what happens? And boom, I could see your face change because you're like, oh my God, that's exactly what I was. It can, you can see how it alienates rather than ask questions. I never thought of it that way. You just don't include. Same in the workplace, same everywhere. But then what you've gone and done, which we'll get to by the fact that you've won a Logie, you've won tennis tournaments, you've won the Nuka medal, you're on radio, you're on ads. What you're doing in that moment in the house party, you're doing by a million, which is full credit to you. It's quite extraordinary. We, We will get to that. So it's funny. You said, oh, we'll get to dating. I would never, ever in 120 odd episodes, have ever asked anyone a question on this podcast? You know what? You're not asking about Kelly, dating. Not asking Kelly Slater. Is that a real no? Call? I'm not asking <laughs> Kelly Slater. Like, okay, perfect example. <laughs> Kelly Slater spoke about Baywatch for 15 minutes because yeah. I told him that was how I first got into surfing, watching him. Yeah. And he talked about how he didn't like being associated with Baywatch at the Good time. Yeah. Now, the obvious question for a lot of people would be asking about Pamela Anderson. Yeah. I would not feel comfortable doing that. And I don't think it's relevant to the story. Yeah. So I wouldn't have asked him about dating Pamela Anderson. And people say, why didn't you ask him about Pammy? It's like, eh. Yeah. I'm with you. So to ask you about dating, if you're not bringing that up, I'm not asking you that. Yeah, true. But it's but it's it's relevant because I am as authentic as I can be. And mm. I'm, you know, that what's the best thing in your life? My wife and my kids. There you go. And guess what? If you were disabled and no one gave you an opportunity to have that, how would you feel? Devastated. Devastated. Right? Yeah. The best thing in my life is my relationship, right? And for so many people with disabilities, they get left out of the dating pool because people think you can't have sex, can't date, can't do anything. And I am so lucky. I had an amazing girlfriend when I was 17 called Chelsea who, like, I just never thought I'd have a girlfriend. She was able-bodied and, like, you know, I didn't even know if I could have sex, man. I'm in a wheelchair. Like, can I have sex? I don't know. Like, you know, the same way that you probably go and can you have sex? Yeah. And I remember, like, the same way that we probably had the same – experience the first time we had sex, uh, I had sex and then I went into her bathroom and actually fist pump in the mirror. I like Leighton Hewitt come on <laughs> that I had just lost my life because, you know, because I could actually do it or whatever it is. You know what I mean? And, 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 but the reason that I talk about it and, you know, like if you know a bit about me now, my partner Chantel, who I love more than anything in the world, she's a sexologist. She's a doctor of sex. She's the Roger Federer of sex. Wow. So if a guy in a wheelchair can, you know, be with someone like that, they must be able to have sex. Yet people still think you can't. And I'm not saying that you and I have sex the same way, but anybody can have sex in whatever way they can have sex. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. If you're in an electric wheelchair with high-level disability, you can still have sex in some way. Might not be like you, but you still can. What you see online when you're educating yourself about sex, which we all did as youngsters, that's not real. You know, but you think it's real. Yeah. And I had insecurities about my dating life because I can't do what they do. So I was like, what am I going to do? But I realized, you know, that's actually not realistic. And you can do it in whatever way that you can. And the reason I talk about it is if you're listening right now and you see a good-looking woman at a woman at a bar who's blind or a guy with one leg or a woman in a wheelchair or whatever it is, and you think they're cute or you like their personality, go for it. Yeah. Go ask them on a date. They would love that. And vice versa, if you are disabled and you're listening and you see someone you like and you ask them on a date, and they say no because you're in a wheelchair or because you're blind or because you're an amputee or because you've got autism, stuff them. Don't worry about that idiot. I'm telling you, there are people out there that will love you for who you are, but you just get knocked back a lot more when you're disabled and you give up, and I want people not to. 
I'm glad we talked about it. There you go. I'm glad we talked hey, about it. I, there you go. How many episodes you done? What numbers? Whatever. This will be, you'll be like 126. First time I've talked about yeah. sex. Yeah. I'm into it. You yeah. maybe should do it for all you. Imagine uh, the story. They're like, Warnie, how are you? Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't like to say, but Warnie's could be a 10 part. Let's move on. Let's yeah. move on. That's the end of Dylan Olcott, part A. See you on the flip side for part B. Listener.